So there was a brief moment around June, early July, when it seemed at least a little bit like the storm of this pandemic was over and the floodwaters were receding. The numbers of vaccinated people had grown dramatically. Hospitalization and death rates were remarkably reduced. People started coming out of their houses and out of their apartments and feeling the the warmth of sun and feeling the wind blow. People began to gather again in person, sometimes even without masks. As your pastor, I began planning for a return to the full experience of worshiping together on Sunday morning with the majority of us here in the sanctuary, together in person, singing and sharing communion and coffee hour. We even moved the tripod for the live streaming camera from the front pew to a spot in the back corner behind the last pew so that we wouldn't block anyone's vision. And then the waters began to surge again. Not maybe as dramatically, but noticeably. And in response, out of anxiety and reflex, many of us scattered back to our shelter again. We scattered for shelter behind masks, behind doors. And the questions have returned. How long will this continue? How long until we can meet again together without fear? Where is God in all of this? And how do we keep going? Thank God, literally, that there are others who have experienced similar storms before us, and we have their wisdom to help us through ours. This morning we are beginning a series of sermons looking at the Apostle Peter's first letter that we have in our Greek New Testament. Our circumstances differ in significant ways from those to whom Peter was writing. At the same time, as we listen for God's voice in Peter's words, I believe we will find profound ways in which God speaks to us through the Apostle Peter. Specifically this morning, Peter's words remind us that no matter how bad things are, we have reasons to hope. Right from the beginning, we hear in Peter's address words that echo within us and our circumstances. In verse 1, we hear that Peter is writing to as he puts it, or as it's translated in the NIV, uh, to God's elect strangers in the world scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, etc. The the word strangers here um, is more often in most of the English translations, exiles, uh, who are exiles scattered in various places And there doesn't seem to be any particular consensus on who these exiles were, nor why they were considered exiles. 
But what strikes me and struck a chord in me reading through is the spiritual aspect of their experience. In the original Greek, these were people who were peripedemos diasporas, from which we get the word diaspora. Wayne Grudem, a professor at Trinity Divinity School, helps us understand what all this means. He writes that term, exile, peripedemos, always refers to a temporary resident in a foreign place. Better, he says, is the phrase, those who reside as aliens, which, though lengthy, captures the idea of temporary residence away from one's homeland, as does the word sojourners. The term dispersion here has a new spiritual sense, referring to Christians dispersed throughout the world and living away from their divine homeland, yet hoping to reach it. The word thus reinforces the meaning of sojourners and adds the idea that they are part of a worldwide scattering of Christians. Peter is writing to people who are living in a situation that is temporary and other than what they know as home. The same is true for us. In the immediate sense, this is true for us because we are far from any sense of normal life. For our safety, we are exiled from our places of work, socializing, worshiping. We are scattered from one another in our homes. And in a more comprehensive sense, we share the same spiritual exile and scattering as the Christians addressed by Peter, because we are exiles from the fullness of God's kingdom and scattered throughout the world and time from other followers of Christ. I don't want us to discount the grief that this current exile and scattering is causing for so many of us. Many of us are lonely. Many students especially have been suffering from depression and anxiety because of the isolation. We miss the full and physical presence of one another. We miss seeing the full faces of those that we are passing by on the sidewalk or in the store, from being able to see whether they're smiling. We grieve all that has been lost, birthday parties, graduations, weekly coffees, funerals, trips to see family and friends, Sunday dinners. We have lost so much over the past year and a half. Parents, grandparents, friends, millions of human beings worldwide. When Peter acknowledges the difficulties he knows some of his original listeners have experienced, 
Listen again to how he states this in verse 6. In this, about God's uh, salvation, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief, specifically in all kinds of trials. Grief in all kinds of trials. It's important for us to hear the ambiguity in Peter's words about the causes of their grief and recognize that ambiguity as an invitation for us to feel included in Peter's consolation. I'll cite Wayne Grudem again to help us hear this. He writes, Peter makes the circumstances leading to such grief very general. The phrase various trials should also caution us against looking for any specific kind of persecution or suffering as the historical background for this letter. Since no one kind of trial or testing is in view, Peter's words have their application to all the trials which Christians experience. There has never been a time or a place in this world free of grief. If we care at all about other human beings or this world, our hearts will continually be broken. And I know that there are many broken now. Still, no matter how bad it gets, we have reasons to hope. In this morning's scripture, Peter gives us two specifically. The first one I find particularly poignant for us in this moment. As Peter addresses his sisters and brothers, he subtly assures them that God has not abandoned them. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, strangers in the world scattered throughout these areas, but who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the work of the Spirit for obedience to Christ. This language of election and chosen and foreknowledge is all a way of assuring them that God knows exactly what they are going through and that God has got them. I like the message translation for making this clear. The message translates this part. I, Peter, an apostle, am an apostle on assignment by Jesus the Messiah, writing to exiles scattered to the four winds. Not one is missing. Not one forgotten. God the Father has his eye on each of you and has determined by the work of the Spirit to keep you obedient through, sacrifice, through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. May everything good from God be yours. I love that. Not one is forgotten. Not one is missed. Even though they are exiled and scattered, God is with each and every one of them. And further, in verse 5, 
we read, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. The word that is translated here, shielded, is taken from military language. William Barclay, a 20th century Scottish pastor, explains. The word which Peter uses for, in, he translates it to protect, to shield, frurein in the Greek, means that our life is garrisoned by God. That God stands sentinel over us all our days. All these affirmations are true for us in our scattered exile and grief. Not one is missing. Not one forgotten. God the Father has his eye on each of you, on each of us. The other profound reason we have for hope is Jesus. In verse 3, Peter writes, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In God's great mercy, God has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Jesus faced the worst that this world inflicts, even death and separation from God. Then, defeated it all, and rose to new life. And Peter reminds us, and all those who trust in Christ, that we have also been raised to new life, and that Christ lives in us. This is a living hope, no matter what we go through. Peter is adamant that nothing can take this hope from us diminish it, or even taint it. He continues that, we, that God has given us new birth into a living hope and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are being guarded, sentineled by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. It's already there. It just hasn't been fully revealed. A former professor of mine at Regent College, uh, Peter Davids, sums up the apostles' argument, or encouragement, excuse me, it sums up the apostles' encouragement. Peter doesn't focus on the past, the new birth itself, but on the future. For the goal of this new birth is a living hope. That is, it points to a bright future ahead. Pastorally, this future orientation is important for Peter to communicate to those he's writing to. For a suffering people who may see only more pain and deprivation ahead need to be able to pierce the dark clouds and fasten on a vision of hope if they are to stay on track. This hope is not a desperate holding on to a faded dream, a dead hope, but a living one, founded on reality. For it is grounded in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. While adversaries might destroy all they have in this world, 
There is a reward that no force on earth can touch. This inheritance should give them hope in the darkest times. In fact, Peter believes that there are ways in which the trials we face can reveal this living hope within us to an even greater degree. He likens this to how gold is refined. In verses 6 and 7, we hear again that uh, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise and glory. I had this great quote from the 17th century Scottish minister, Robert Layton, and I have somehow erased it from my my (laughs) text. Oh, here it is. It got moved. Oh, wow. There we go. Oh, perfect. So this is from Robert Layton about this process. Divine grace is an invincible thing. Drown it in the waters of adversity and it rises in a more beautiful way, as if it had not been drowned but only washed. Throw it into the furnace of fiery trials and it is purified and loses nothing except the dross that makes it pure. Due to our trials, we will appear in greater brightness at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The tough part of all of this is that knowing these truths from Peter doesn't take the grief away or the suffering. Instead, it gives us strength to endure. Our experience is often like Job's when he talks about how he wishes he could find God and, and, and speak to God about these things. But if I go to the east, God's not there. If I go to the west, I don't find God. When God is at work in the north, I don't see him. When he turns to the south, I catch no glimpse of God. But still, Job says, God knows the way I take. And when God has tested me, I will come forth as gold. It can feel as if God is nowhere to be found. We know from that text that God was, again, just like Peter is assuring, God is aware of everything that's happening for Job, for the people to whom Peter is writing, for us. We feel that we are on our own, and yet Peter reminds us all. Not one is missing, not one forgotten. God the Father has his eye on each of us. Jesus himself told a a little story to his followers for moments just like this. These words I speak to you are not incidental additions to your life, homeowner, homeowner improvements to your standard of living. They are foundational words. 
words to build a life on. If you work these words into your life, you are like a smart carpenter who built their house on solid rock. Rain poured down, the river flooded, a tornado hit. As the psalmist said, the pestilence that stalks by in the darkness, the plague that destroys at midday. I thought that was perfectly appropriate for our moment. But nothing moved that house. It was fixed to the rock. No matter what we go through, we have a living hope. Thanks be to God.